Hello, you're listening to So You Want to Be a Writer, the podcast about the world of writing and publishing. My name's Valerie Koo, and I'm your co-host, and I'm CEO of the Australian Writers' Centre, where you'll find courses and a wonderfully supportive writing community. This week, I am here with my co-host, Alison Tate, also known as A.L. Tate, author of the Matt Maveka Chronicles and Adaban Cipher series. But her latest book is The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery. And that's what we'll be hearing from today in this in-between episode. Al, how are you? <laughs> I'm not used to Al, how are you? I'm waiting for how are you, Al? But, you um, know, it's I'm, switching I'm very well. Up. I'm very well. I'm excited about, about reading my chapter. I know. I'm excited too. So for listeners who are new to this, these story sessions is where we read the first chapter of a book that we recommend so that you can sample it while you're doing the laundry or walking the dog or whatever it is that you're doing. And if you're not comfortable standing in a bookshop reading the first chapter of the book to decide whether you want or not, we've brought the bookshop to you. So this week I've chosen the Firestar and that's pretty handy since I happen to know the author personally. And I've managed to convince her to do the reading for us. So it's a wonderful book for middle grade readers. Alison, what is the age of middle grade readers? Um, well, middle grade is generally classified in around sort of the 8 to 12 mark, uh, depending on the book. But my book, uh, The Firestar, um, we are classifying as upper middle grade. So that would put us in the 10 to 14 age mm. group. Um, so kind of, you know, years 5 to 8 or 9 uh, at school. And um, so the sweet spot for this one is probably readers of about 12 plus. But I'm also getting fantastic um, reviews and feedback from adults, which which um, is making me very, very happy. Upper middle grade, is that like an upper middle bogan? Uh, Not quite. It's (laughs) it's more like a very, very clever, you know, middle grader. (laughs) So even though I'm not a uh, middle grade reader uh, or upper middle grade reader, I loved it because it's a great adventure with a wonderful story and characters that I became invested in. So, Alison, if you had to blurb the book, what would you say it's about? What is the book about? Is that the question that you're asking me here? Yeah. Okay. So the Firestar is the first book in the Maven and Reeve mystery series. Maven, a maid, and Reeve, a squire, arrive at Renart Castle on the same day but for very different reasons. When the Firestar, a dazzling jewel of great value, goes missing, the two must band together to find it or lose everything. So on one level, it's a story about two teenagers finding friendship as they solve the puzzle of a missing jewel, navigating the world around them and holding fast to their dreams. On another, it's about rebellion, large and small, secrets, and how small decisions can lead to big events. Love it. So we have the author herself to read Chapter 1, Take It Away, Al. Okay, as Valerie said, my name is Alison Tate. I'm also known as A.L. Tate, and I'm here to read you the first chapter and a little bit more of my new novel, The Firestar, A Maven and Reeve Mystery. And I'm going to read you a little bit more than one chapter, simply so that you can hear from both of our main characters, Maven and Reeve. Chapter 1, Wednesday. Of all the things I'd imagined might stop us from reaching Renart Castle by nightfall, goats had not even made the top 50. Before setting out, my number one source of nightmares had been that we'd encounter the king's men. 
but four horsemen wearing King Bren's gold-embroidered tunics had galloped past us a few miles back, flinging nothing more than mud and disdain in our direction as they'd carelessly forced us off the narrow road. Once they'd rounded the bend towards the capital, I'd breathed a sigh of relief, thinking our passage clear. After all, if the loathed king's disreputable followers had left us alone, then surely nothing would stop us. And yet, here we are, minutes later, held hostage by six goats, a lame horse and an overturned cart. And the boy. Wearing the tunic emblazoned with the bright blue fox that marks him as property of Sir Garrick Sharp, Knight Protector of Renout Castle, he is my lady's worst nightmare come to life in black hose and tall black boots. I'd heard her utter a most unladylike word under her breath as we'd rounded the corner at full canter, nearly taking out a hairy white goat before skidding to a stop. All hail, the boy had shouted, red-faced as he'd wrestled an unhappy brown goat towards a wooden crate, lying on its side by the cart. Sorry, good mistresses, won't be a jiffy, just helping Master Seymour here with his goats. He, um, ran into some trouble. Trouble ran into me more like, the old man had muttered, that young wastrel's lackeys, intent only on themselves as usual. I did not look at Cassandra and neither of us had replied. Whispers about King Bren and his friends and their pleasure-seeking, law-breaking ways waft across the kingdom of Cartref on every breeze, but it would not do to discuss them here, on the road, with strangers. People have been hanged for less. After watching the boy for a few moments, I begin to realise that a jiffy might last a very long time if we have to rely on the goat-herding skills of this squire. Having finally grabbed hold of the brown goat with one hand, he tries to right the overturned crate with the other before realising he needs two hands and lets go of the goat. With a quiet oath, he pushes the crate upright before setting off after the goat again, but every time he moves, the goats scatter in different directions, bleating with indignation. I risk a glance at Cassandra, but she has pulled the hood of her tattered cloak down low and is unrecognisable within its folds. Her hand taps her cloak right where the saddlebag would be, as it has done hundreds of times since we left home. She knows it is secure, its contents wrapped safely inside, but she cannot help herself, as I could not were I in her position. I turn my attention back to the boy, who is so busy with his goat duties, he barely glances our way, giving me ample time to observe him. When they'd handed out looks, this boy had been front and centre, waving his arms and flashing a charming smile. From his perfect blonde ringlets to his dimple, he is what my sisters would describe as worth watching. When they'd handed out brains, however... You do realise that's not going to work, don't you? I say at last, taking care to use the harsh vows of a peasant girl. Cassandra flashes me a hard stare, but we do not have time to waste watching this boy flail about in the dust while a dazed old man looks on. What do you mean, the boy asks, flushing an even deeper red. You can't talk them into the crate, I say. They're not young ladies to be charmed, and even if they were, you'd need to do better than that. Polite chiding will not herd goats. I cannot resist the dig. I may be only 15, but I have seen his type before, over and over. Dark-haired, blonde, red-headed, it doesn't matter. They are always charming, always affecting the latest fashion in tunics or poetry or swordplay, and always, in the end, utterly useless at anything beyond flowery words. Humph, the boy says. If you know so much about goats, you do better. His lapse of courtly manners shows me just how fed up he is. Squires like him are usually on their best behaviour at all times, in public anyway. 
No, I hear Cassandra begin, but I have already slithered off the horse and landed square on the road. Mother always said that my inability to resist a challenge would one day be my downfall. Then again, Mother always said a lot of things. Oh, fine, then, Cassandra continues, but make it snappy. We do have better places to be. My challenger has moved to sit next to the silent old man on the edge of the overturned cart and is now waving in the direction of the goats as though to say, have at it. The key, I say, moving purposefully towards the largest goat, a sizable nanny with a full white beard, is to show them who is boss. Is that so, says the boy, as the old man passes him an apple. He has regained some of his poise and I give him points for that. His tunic appears new, which surprises me, as he looks to be at least 16. That blue fox should have a few years' wear on it by now, as most squires take up their duties by the age of 14. Indeed, I respond, even as my mind works through the conundrum of his background. One must establish oneself as the leader of the herd. I hear a loud crunch behind me and realise that the boy is munching his apple, but I remain fixed on the nanny goat as I approach, looking deep into her sharp brown eyes. I stand over her for a few moments, making sure I have her complete attention before I turn and begin walking slowly towards the crate. To my absolute relief, I hear the clank of the bell around her neck as she begins to follow me, bleating mournfully as she walks, as though to say, can you believe the morning I've had? I almost bleat back. Good Lord, I hear the boy murmur as other bells begin clanking. I risk a glance behind me to see, with a spurt of unexpected glee, that the other goats are falling into line. Do you have any more of those apples? I call out to the old man, who procures another from a grubby bag that has spilled from the overturned cart and throws it to me. Catching it neatly in one hand, I nip around the side of the wooden crate to the very far corner and push the apple in through the slats. The nanny goat walks through the door, heading straight for the apple, and the other goats follow. And that, I say, pushing the door shut and fastening it with the brown ribbon that I pull from my hair, is how you herd goats. To his credit, the boy stands and applauds, those golden curls glinting in the sunlight. Well done, he says sincerely, as I push my hair envy away, though I do wish I'd thought to ask about apples a lot earlier. I can't help but laugh. If you think an apple would have helped you, the teeth flash and a dimple appears. Well, it couldn't have made things worse. Lady Cassandra clears her throat conspicuously, and I jump, remembering where I am. I am glad she has been smart enough not to use my name, but I am kicking myself nonetheless for getting distracted by small talk. It isn't part of the plan at all. We must go, my lady continues. Oh, but can you help me turn this cart before you go? The charming smile is back, the blue eyes upon me. If it's quick, I say, keeping my expression neutral and adjusting my hood back around my face. He's seen it, of course, and my hair when I whip the ribbon out of it, but as my mother has told me from birth, mine is not a memorable face. Not that it bothers me. Combined with mid-brown hair, blah-brown eyes, and enough nows to say silent when it suits me, my forgettable face serves me well. Fortunately, the boy seems to take my lead, rather like a goat, for the small talk dries up as we push the cart upright. I look to the crate, now full of goats, still on the road. I'm afraid that your next problem will be getting the crate onto the cart, I say. He looks nonplussed. I hadn't thought of that, he says. I don't suppose... Maven, now my lady's voice is impatient, and I simply shake my head at the boy's beseeching eyes and cross back towards my waiting mare. May I help you remount, he asks, following me across the road. I can get on my own horse, I respond, putting one foot in the stirrup and vaulting into the saddle. 
There had been a time when I'd envied the men and boys around me their breaches, but over the years I've pushed the boundaries of my limited life as far as practicable and I've learned to do everything I need to do in a skirt. And if my skirts, made to my own design for the last few years, have always been too plain and too sensible to ever be in fashion, so be it. At least I will always have pockets and will never have to ride side saddle like my sister's. Fortunate, too, that unlike my sisters, I have no need to mourn the life I once had. The plain dress of a servant suits me well. Come, says Lady Cassandra, whose voluminous travelling cloak hides the fact that her emerald green dress is rucked up around her knees. She nudges her horse forward and I follow, barely glancing at the crate of bleating goats and never looking back. She has mentioned my name, I realise, but my hope is that he will be so caught up with his goat crisis he will never remember. Will we still make it by nightfall, Lady Cassandra asks, once we've ridden along the road deeper into the forest, away from listening ears? As long as we don't spend too long with the beach circle, I respond. We'll spend as long as it takes, she retorts, before digging her heels into the horse's side and taking off at a gallop. I urge my horse forward and follow, knowing that we are racing headlong into trouble. Chapter 2 Are you ready? Reeve managed a tiny nod, not so much as glancing up as Lorimer, steward of the household, spoke. Reeve was pretty sure that the granite planes of Lorimer's face hadn't cracked a smile in decades. Don't forget what I told you, sniffed Lorimer, before raising his pale, veined hand to knock briskly on the polished timber door once, twice, thrice. Time to seem to slow down for Reeve as each thump on the door resounded the length and breadth of the stone hallway. His mind raced through the last-minute instructions that Lorimer had fired off in the minutes since Reeve had clattered late into the great courtyard, almost falling off his horse in his haste. Now, in the aching seconds between each knock, the memory of Lorimer's reedy voice went round and round in Reeve's mind. Eyes down, don't speak unless spoken to, address L. Buckthorn as your excellency, Sir Garrick Sharp as sire, approach only from the left, never the right. Reeve shook his head, trying to gather his scattered thoughts. He knew all of this. Hadn't Lady Roswin spent the last nine years teaching Reeve to know his laird from his lady? He had done his time as a page, and then some. Enter came a deep, rich voice from behind the door, and Reeve took a moment to wipe his clammy palms on his tight-fitting black hose. He'd been so proud to don them just a few short hours ago, for they and the black tunic emblazed with the bright blue fox he wore marked him, finally, as being in the service of Sir Garrick Sharp, Knight Protector of Renart Castle, as surely as if he'd had the man's name tattooed on his forehead. As the foremost knight in the Fife of Renart, and it was said the fiercest fighter and firmest hand when it came to law and order in the whole kingdom of Cartref, Sir Garrick's fearsome reputation strode before him, and now Reeve would follow behind. Assuming that Sir Garrick and Earl Buckthorn forgave the fact that Reeve was late for their very first meeting. Lorimer sniffed again. Straighten that belt, he said, before turning the knob and sweeping through the door ahead of Reeve. Adjusting his thick black leather belt so that the clasp sat right on his belly button and the sword nestled against his hip, Reeve raised his heels ever so slightly and walked lightly into the room behind Lorimer, making almost no sound. He kept his expression impassive, trying to smooth out any evidence of his nerves and to bury his burning curiosity. Reeve of Norwood, Lorimer announced, his flat tone hiding the scorn he'd exhibited moments before. Ah, at last, said the deep voice, as Reeve swept into a low bow. We've been expecting you. Lorimer sniffed again. It seems, Your Excellency, that your new squire has problems with punctuality.
I hope you enjoyed Alison's reading of The Firestar, a Maven and Reeve mystery, read, of course, by none other than A.L. Tate. Thank you, Al. Thank you very much. Thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to actually read those words out loud. I, I, it's, a, it's a whole different world when you hear it read out loud, I think. Yes, yes. Where can people find out more about you? Uh, you'll find me at alisontait.com, A-L-L-I-S-O-N-T-A-I-T.com. Um, and if you'd like to connect on social media, I'm at uh, Twitter on at Al Tate, A-L-T-A-I-T. And I'm also on Facebook and Instagram at Alison Tate Writer. And where can people buy the book? Uh, people can buy the book at their favourite place to buy books it's uh it's in all the places from big w and target right through to online stores and of course your local independent bookstore so pop in and say hello grab yourself a copy thanks everyone for listening to story sessions of so you want to be a writer you'll find more details about the podcast and a wealth of writing resources and courses at so you want to be a writer .com.au. this podcast is brought to you by the australian writers center connect with us on social media at Writer Centre AU on Twitter and Instagram and join our free podcast listener community on Facebook. Just search for So You Want to Be a Writer podcast community and request to join. Both Alison and I will be back to our regular programming in your next episode. Thanks for listening and I look forward to chatting to you again next time. And so will Al. Bye. Thanks for listening to So You Want to Be a Writer. You'll find the show notes at writerscentre.com.au slash podcast or sign up for our awesome and often hilarious weekly newsletter at writerscentre.com.au slash news where you'll find writing resources, giveaways, competitions and much more.